I'm going to step back and give us kind of the big picture of where we've been and where we're headed. I think that'll help us as we move forward. Remember, we're only doing the first nine chapters of Proverbs, uh, and we're trying to get it done by the end of summer, and then we're going to move on to other things. So the first nine chapters of Proverbs are an introduction to what we normally think of as Proverbs, right? We think of Proverbs as just like little one-liners. Those start in chapter 10. And uh, what we have before that are 10 little sermons or exhortations with some other stuff sprinkled in, some poetry, really designed to whet our appetites for 10 on. So really, really intent on getting us to go and read and study chapter 10 and all the way to 31, which we're then not going to do as a church, but which I hope we'll all do together um, with our families on our own. Um, And maybe we'll do something else. Um, There's a group of us that meet on Monday mornings at honeymoon at about 8.30. Maybe we'll spend some time just working through Proverbs there. You're welcome to join us if you're able. I know not many people are able to go to a coffee shop at 8.30 on a Monday morning, but if you are, you can join us. Um, Every one of these little sermons can basically be broken down more or less into three or so simple statements with set points. The first one is, listen, listen, get wisdom, listen to the wise, listen to God himself, listen to your parents, listen to your teachers, your pastors, accept what they say, take it into your heart, hold on to it, listen, get wisdom. And the second thing is your learn, which is reject folly, reject evil, reject wickedness, run from temptation. Don't take the first step in that direction. There are about two types of evil people. Remember, this is a book uh, designed for young men specifically. There are about two types of evil people that are coming for you, especially you young men. One's evil dudes or groups, gangs, groups of evil dudes. And the other is the seductress. Be careful of them. And then the last consequences. The path of wisdom leads to life. The path of folly leads to death. And there's one fundamental tenet that undergirds everything, and that's the fear of the Lord. That's your starting point. Wisdom is a matter of the heart. Almost all of that was laid out all at once in chapter two. We dealt with all of those things, including the wicked uh, dudes and the seductress, just kind of mentioned them. Um, But then we have a bunch of these like little sermonettes that focus on one aspect of any number of those things. And last week, uh, my friend Jason, who came from the Bloomington Chinese Church plant, uh, preached on uh, Proverbs 4, 1 to 9, and that was mostly focused on get wisdom again. Today, that's all there, but we're focusing more on rejecting evil, specifically the evil dude or the gang of evil people. Uh, next week, we'll finish chapter 4, and that'll bring us back to focusing on our own hearts. In chapter 5, we'll go back to the seductress. And then we'll just kind of alternate. We'll go back to wicked dudes and all the various ways that they tempt us to sin and are in league with our own hearts. And then we'll go back in chapter seven to the seductress, but even more. And then in chapter eight, Lady Wisdom's going to show up and she's going to be even more than she was. And in chapter nine, we're going to close it out with a picture of the two paths laid before us in life, only two, path of wisdom, path of folly. Um. So that's where we're headed. Just wanted to kind of reorient us to everything as we hit the halfway mark. All right. Ready? 
Proverbs 4, 10 to 19. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. All right, let's pray. Father, this morning uh, we lift up to you the churches in this community. We pray that your word would be faithfully taught and preached and that you would, by your spirit, convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. Help us this morning to draw near to you and to draw near to your word and to learn and to grow. Help us, we pray. Be with me. Give me faith and power by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today we're going to mix it up a little bit. Normally we work through the passage in order, but we've got our listen. Hear and accept my word so you'll live. And we've got our learn. Hold on to the wisdom. Stay on the straight and narrow. Don't go to the path of the wicked, not even a step. We've spent a lot of time on those two things so far in this series. We'll come back to them before the sermon is over. But this little exhortation here in Proverbs introduces something new to the discussion. It gives us a reason not to stray from the straight and narrow that we haven't quite heard before, or at least not quite like this. So let's read that again. Why should you avoid the path of the wicked? Verse 16, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. What on earth is that about? Does it sound extreme? Anybody think that sounds a little extreme? A little extra intense, right? Too intense? Like, no one's really that bad, right? Like, not many people are that bad. Does it remind you of anything else we've read so far? What does it remind you of? Yeah, it reminds me of chapter one, right? Remember the whole thing of my son, if sinners entice you and say, come, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us set an ambush for the innocent. And you read that and you're like, when has anybody actually done that in my life? And then you stop and you're like, I don't know, man, maybe this doesn't apply to me. But we dug into that passage and we learned some things, Right? It's helpful to see the extremes. First, because the extremes really are really real. People really do say, come let us lie in wait for innocent blood. Street gangs that do that are a real thing. So the the extreme is real. And there are real problems in our city because of that. But also the extremes give us both permission and ability to explore the ways we're like that. All the smaller ways we're like that. Makes it safe for us to explore all the ways that that's actually us too. Unless we're fools. If we're fools, we read it and we say, oh, that's silly. That obviously doesn't apply. Moving on. But the wise stop and say, just because it's not obvious how it applies doesn't mean that it doesn't apply. 
Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Let's stop and dig deeper. Stop and search for gold at the places where it seems like, well, that doesn't seem like it makes sense. It doesn't seem like it applies. That doesn't seem obvious. So let's break it down really, really simply. What is bread? What's bread for? It's for energy. It is most basically food. We're like low energy this morning. All right, everybody say food on three. One, two, three, food. All right, we got your mouths open. Good. What is bread? It's food. What's food for? Sustenance, nourishment, exactly. What about wine? What's it for? Happiness, fun, (laughs) joy, comfort. Actually, more for nourishment in the ancient world than uh, I think we understand. Water wasn't always safe to drink. You mix some wine in with your water and kill the germs. But also comfort, joy. So what's it all for? What are bread and wine for? So, so you'd have strength and joy for the day. Strength and joy for the day's work. That's what. So what do you rely on to get through your day or the work of the day? Where's Peter? Lucy, Ian, there you are. All too often, the source of strength you turn to to get through your chores is what? Whining and complaining. We talked about this this week as we're on like processing the sermon, right? Like and trying to figure it out and... Uh, Lucy's whining and complaining through her chore, which is pretty normal for just for Lucy, not for Peter or Ian. Okay, it's pretty normal for all of us because you know what? It's also normal for me. We talked through this and it was like, what gets you through the work of the chore? It's the bread of your complaining and the wine of your self-pity. Is that what you need to load up in order to fight your way through the work? Does anyone remember what Jesus says his bread is? He's been talking to the woman at the well. The only reason he was there is because he was exhausted. It's like the middle of the day. He's been on this tour. He's been walking everywhere. He's exhausted. He stops in the middle of the day at this well to rest. And a woman comes and he starts ministering to her. And then she leaves and she goes and starts telling everybody about Jesus. And people are coming out to Jesus. And the disciples are like, Jesus, you need to eat, man. You need to eat. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples were like, yo, did somebody feed you? Like, what happened? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Is it enough for you to do the will of your father in heaven? To please him? To please kids, your parents? To please your boss? Or do you need to spice it up? Is your real food that gets you through the work of the day, the complaining and whining and grumbling and the bitterness and the anger that you turn to, to propel you forward through your work? Is the wine that comforts you, your self-righteous indignation or your sense of what's fair and right and how you've been done wrong? And you've got to conjure up a story and a framework for how your whole day is about how everybody did you wrong. Your self-pity is your comfort, even as you go to bed at night, as you rehearse all the ways you were done wrong today and all the ways you're going to get even tomorrow. If it is, if you can't get through a job without complaining about it or feeling sorry for yourself, what we know is what? The job's not actually the issue. If you can't be grateful for the work you have to do, if you can't just simply 
humbly do it to the glory of God, to the satisfaction of your boss. Your food isn't to do the will of your Father in heaven. Your food is something else that you need to get through, to sustain you. And that's sad and small. And we're all like that in many ways. It's sad, it's small. And in the words of the proverb, it is evil. We're like this. We're guilty of it in a million ways. I'm not trying to isolate complainers here. Okay, I'm targeting myself and my kids as a starting point. We can be the target. But really stop and think about what gets you through your day. Or when something hard comes, what gets you through the hard thing? When do you turn to wickedness and violence to sustain you? So I was thinking about this question the other day as I was driving. And if you know me, that's about all you need to know. (laughs) I was thinking about this question as I was driving. (laughs) Okay. I figured out really quickly how I was living (laughs) this question. I hate driving. I hate the inconvenience of it. Mostly I hate the inconvenience of people, other people on the road at all. My not just my desire, but my expectation when I get in the car is that everyone would part for me, like the Red Sea parts for Moses. And if they don't, they're doing me wrong. They're all idiots and stupid, every one of them. And if they're driving more maniacally than me, then they're idiots too. Everybody, I am the standard of righteousness on the road as soon as I get in the car. And there is no winning unless you are bowing to me, right? So I'm thinking about this. I think, man, that's a great analogy. The Red Sea thing and Moses, that's that's good. That's going to win. Because if that doesn't happen, it's not happy. It's not, I'm not going to be happy because I am the standard of godliness. And then suddenly it's, what are you doing, lady? It's a stop sign. You were stopped. Like I was a block away. Why aren't you going? <laughs> All right, fine, I'll go. Oh, now you're going to go. Okay, fine, go. No, I, I'll wait. Forget it, I'm going. Now, what was I thinking about again? <laughs> All right. <laughs> violence. The wine of violence gets me through many car trips. It's wickedness. That's wicked. It's something I need to repent of. You should pray for me. Not too long ago, I was having a conversation with a friend good godly dude, um, just hanging out. And so he starts to tell this story. This is going to be fun. This is going to be the fun way that we spend our time together. Um, story of how he worked for this furniture moving company 20 years ago when he was like 21. And one day he had to deliver some furniture to a frat house. And so it's like other 21 year olds, but they're frat boys. And so one of the frat boys who's like this, like Bart, you know, like this big, massive dude says, I'll pay you 20 bucks to move the couch. And so then it becomes this sort of like mocking, riffing, scoffing session about how stupid and lazy frat boys are. And this is what's going to be fun for us to do is to rip on frat boys, apparently. And I sat there and I started thinking, why are we holding on? Why did we hold on to this story, this 20-year-old story about some other 20, 21-year-old kid so that we can continue to get some joy out of mocking them as we approach 40 years old. And laziness isn't even the only good explanation for something like that, right? The guy was 20, 21 years old. He got married young. So here he is. He's like looking at a dude who's a peer. He's got a ring on his hand and he's working for a furniture moving company. 
What if he thought, man, this guy looks like he needs some extra pocket cash. Maybe he got a girl pregnant. What happened? I don't know. But I sure would be frustrated to be in his position working for a moving company at 21 years old and married, trying to provide for a family. Here, how about you move that couch? I'll give you 20 bucks. Maybe that was a good explanation for it. I don't know. Maybe probably there was just being lazy, dumb frat boys. But the point is, man, the things that we hold on to, the things that we, we use, how easy is it to drink the wine of mocking for comfort and joy? How easy is it to drink the wine of scoffing at people who are just different than us? Again, I'm not trying to pick on my, my friend. We all do this sort of thing. It was just the example that was at hand. We do this thing all the time. It's easy to eat the bread of little ego boosts as we destroy and pick apart everyone and everything around us that's different than us or that we're jealous of. It's easy to get through the day, not trying to be a better person, but trying to tear everyone else around us down and make them beneath us. What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Some people can't get out of bed in the morning without a plan to get back at their boss or to put a coworker in place. You sit on your bed and you wait till you have, till you know how you're going to get them. And then you have the motivation to get up and finally get moving. Some people can't get out of bed without a hit of evil off their phone at the expense of someone else. Some people can't get through the day without contriving new ways to sate their greed or their lust, without constantly hungering for the bread of validation at the expense of someone else, without murdering their husband and their children or their wife constantly in their heart. And what puts us to bed at night? Drunkenness? I'm not talking about a nightcap. Drunkenness? A high? a movie that indulges our worst impulses, pornography, a romantic fantasy about a coworker or a neighbor or a friend that we don't really intend to go anywhere. When you lie on your bed rehearsing your day, what gives you the peace you need to sleep? Is it repenting of your own misdeeds and making a plan to grow and improve in godliness the next day? Or is it rehearsing the misdeeds of everyone else around you and making a plan to get back to get even or just to protect yourself? Can you sleep unless you've complained, invented, and found a way to frame the day as everyone's done me wrong? I mean, we could sit here in this little room and we could talk about drag queen story hour and how there are perverts out there who are intent on making children stumble and can't go to sleep unless they've thought of the next way they're going to make children, innocent children stumble and introduce them to perverse thoughts at the age of five. But I don't think we have any drag queens in this room. So... We could talk about the extreme, and the extreme's real, but who are we? What sustains us through the day? What are the places where we are inclined to turn to wickedness and violence to get through the day or to go to bed at night? What catharsis do we need in order to sleep? What are the steps we take down the path of the wicked? Verses 18 to 19 says this, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The wise live a pretty simple, uncomplicated life. They wake up, they accept their lot in life with gratitude, they work hard, hard. they repent of the little ways they stumble, their work is satisfying, they accept even when they have to start at the bottom because they've pleased their maker, they live in the light of day, and the day gets brighter and brighter. The path they walk gets clearer and simpler. It's narrow, but it's straight. 
But if you get through the day living on the bread of wickedness and the wine of violence, if evil is what you turn to to go to sleep, the path only gets darker. Does the complaining in your chores actually fill you up and give you the joy and the strength you need for the day? It it just spirals, doesn't it? It takes, it doesn't give. So you have to get another hit and another hit and another hit and another hit and another hit until your life is dominated by it. You don't even know what makes you stumble. It just gets darker and darker and darker. The porn hit, the porn hit, the porn hit, the porn hit. What makes you stumble is you. Why are you stuck in a dead-end job that you hate? Maybe it's not because the world's conspired against you. Maybe it's that you've never accepted starting at the bottom and just cheerfully, gratefully applied yourself to doing your job. Maybe the reason you're at odds with your boss is because of you, too, not just because of him. Maybe the reason you've not advanced is because you never got better at your job. You never actually did anything to please your boss. You didn't grow as a person. You sat and complained and felt sorry for yourself that something better wasn't just handed to you. You don't even know what makes you stumble. You're just caught in a feedback loop. But I'm, I don't know how this applies to you. I'm just, I'm trying to give us handles for figuring out how this applies, right? You don't even know what makes you stumble. You think it's everything else out there. And it's not. It's you. It's that you feed on the bread of wickedness. You're addicted to the wine of violence even in small ways. Two paths, both headed in a particular direction. One leads to life, the other leads to death. Passage begins, listen and live. You're here, you're here because one way or another, you've been taught in the way of wisdom. This is the way of wisdom. These are the paths of uprightness. When you walk in them, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you won't stumble. But you have to keep hold of instruction. You have to not let it go. You have to guard her for she is your life. You have to remind yourself of these things every single day, right? Because maybe today, dad will step in and say, hey, Lucy, let's talk about the bread of complaining that you use. And by the time we're done, we'll be doing happy dances while we do our chores. But tomorrow, what? And the next day, what? In the next day, what? No, you have to hold this fast. You'll go right back, right? This is a daily fight. It's a daily fight. You're always going to, tonight, tonight, we'll all be tempted to refresh ourselves with our evil schemes in small ways, maybe in big ways. Hold fast to what you've been taught. Hear it, accept it. I'm just reading the passage. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked not a step. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away. Pass on. Don't do it. He says like six times in six different ways. Stop. Do not pass go. Why? Because once you start down that path, you end up where they do. You can't sleep unless you've done wrong. You become like them. Your path becomes dark. You don't know what you stumble over. But hold on to wisdom, and your path will get brighter and brighter. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to turn from pleasing you to the bread of wickedness and the wine of violence and to comfort ourselves by seeking cathartic little hits of evil, whether it's complaining, whether it's vengeance, whether it's just aggression. Father, help us 
to grow in godliness and to reject the path of the wicked and to walk in the light of your word and in newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen.